In this episode, we met with Ben Ahern. Ben is a prolific wholesaler and has been in the business for over 17 years. Ben has been part of 700 transactions, 600 of them being wholesales. Ben has been married for over 22 years and is a proud father of two daughters. Real estate investing for you. This is Pod Success. Pod Success. With Joe Arias, speaking to investors about the pitfalls and successes on wholesaling. These are top real estate investors. These are experts in the business. And this is Pod Success. Pod Success. Here is Joe Arias. We're here with Ben. Ben Ehern. Ben is a wholesaler. We've known each other for a few years. How are you, Ben? I'm very well. Thank you for having me today, Joe. You're very well. That's welcome. a phenomenal intro, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ben. You know, just very grateful to have you in the show. You know, you're one of my. You're one of the the entrepreneurs that I've been looking. Um, you know, I've been I've been following you, and I love your work. So why don't you just start with a little bit of of Ben as a human being? We'll we'll sure. move to the business side. Sure. You know, where are you from, Ben? You know, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, without without uh, going into too much detail, I, I actually grew up overseas. I grew up in Asia. My parents were working in Asia as a child, so I had a very multicultural upbringing. Found myself in Los Angeles, which is where my family roots are from, and found myself at school here. Married my college sweetheart out of school. Wow. Entered into the entertainment business right out of school and was an agent for my most of my 20s. For actors, musicians. Actually, for makeup artists and costume designers wow. and art directors and writers. Wow, story. And uh, my, you know, that's a tough business. That's a stressful business. Like, well, like most businesses are, I guess. But my wife's folks bought a real estate franchise in 1999 and I had said, man, what, what kind of Carlton Sheets purchase did they make? I was very skeptical that they had gone, <laughs> down, should, right? gone down a wrong path. And, and I watched them for two years, and they kept doing better and better. And they finally said, we think you would be fantastic in this business. Would you like to join us? And they caught me on the right month where I'd lost a couple artists and was bummed about the state of affairs and said, let's go give work, real estate a try. Let's go. Let's see what we can pull off here. How old were you? I was uh, 29. Wow. So I moved, my wife and I moved to San Antonio, Texas, and we hit the ground running. The first month, I think I bought four or five houses, and it was it was crazy because, you know, you, you, you got to wrap your head around a house purchase, especially for the first time. Most people don't go buy houses like they buy cars or buy motorcycles. It's a big thought-out process, but... My father-in-law was a great mentor and, and really taught me how to be, and it took to me. You know, it, it, it took to me, and it's been a lifelong pursuit ever wow. since. What, what's, uh, what's his name? His name is Terry Bartelli. Terry. Still working at it in San Antonio, wow. Texas. So, so you, you, you met your wife. She was your, sweet, your uh, high school sweetheart? Yes. And then when was the first time you met Terry? I met Terry probably... About two years after I started dating my wow. wife, they came out from Texas. I wanted to see who this crazy guy was that rode motorcycles. And, you know, you, when you find out that your daughter is dating somebody on a motorcycle, you, you do need to go put eyes on him pretty Absolutely. quick. As a father of daughters now, I know that that is something that I have to pay very close attention to. That's right. <laughs> so, so, um, so Terry came, you know, the door opened. You guys been in a relationship for two years. So there's already a foundation built, very strong. And uh, did she know that you guys know you're going to get married after two years? 
I think at three for me, I, you know, I had parents that had stayed married and seemed very happy. So for me, you know, I got married when I was 22 years old. And so that's crazy. Most people think that's crazy and, and in many respects it is, but in my mind, the way that I was kind of raised was you get married and you don't necessarily, you don't uh, wait, you don't wait and you make a commitment and you just go down the path together. You find someone that you can grow with and it worked out great for us. It hasn't for a lot of friends and I know it's, it can be a lot of pitfalls on the way. But ben, who taught you the, the power of commitment? Where did you, I know it's a oh, kind of like, question. where did you pick that? I would most emphatically say my father. Your dad. My father was a very committed person and uh, I grew up seeing him commit to people over and over again and commit to my mother, mm. and commit to um, his family and it just was inbred. I, I, I grew up with that just kind of as a subtle part of who I was. So did you get a good relationship with your dad? Yes, I do, but not without its, you know, ups and downs, ups and downs. Of course. And as you grow up and you realize humans are flawed. And frankly, for me as a, as a father, it didn't start to make a ton of sense until I started seeing my own flaws and my own kids and the way mm. some inconsistencies that I was doing that I gave, I realized I have a lot more, uh, a space for my father's mistakes. Yeah. I heard that. I, I heard that when you become a father, you really appreciate, you're grateful about your dad because there's no manual to be a dad. So no, there isn't, there is no manual. And even if you had a manual, you'd still mess it up. <laughs> but, but there is a manual right for you. I, f I feel like there's um, when you were building your, your uh, wholesaling business differently to probably a lot of other people, that career did come with a manual franchise right absolutely so i i like the idea how you're you're um you're talking about commitment and you make a commitment with your with your wife and and you learn from your dad and here you are you know working hard on the on the business and now uh you have an opportunity to move to wholesaling and you know it's been a long time so you definitely made a commitment and you've been sticking to it how was that the, the the those manuals you know the the step-by-step -step procedures or are you maybe you share it with me how does it work when you work with a franchise what is a franchise for some people might not know so there's really only one franchise in america that focuses on, on this side of the business and it's not just wholesaling it's retailing it's rentals it's the whole kit and caboodle but Homevestors was started in 1996 by a guy out of Dallas, Texas, and their advertising slogan, which was really just a slogan at the time, which is what we're really known by now, is the We Buy Ugly Houses. Mm. So you'll see billboards in a lot of other cities. In Los Angeles, we've done a fairly good job of branding, but not as well as, per se, Dallas, Texas, or, mm. you know. St. Louis. We all have seen them. We've all seen them. That's the, the caveman, right? The caveman and the squiggly little, the, the paint drawing of the Wee Ugly House is very simple. And they really put this business on the map. You know, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, if you had an ugly house, realtors didn't want to touch it. You know, there was really no, it was a business that was bred out of a need in the sense that there wasn't, there wasn't a great industry for dilapidated houses or people that needed to sell quickly or with some ticks and fleas attached to the property. Realtors were very linear back then on the way that they wanted property. And some of them realized the great opportunity and quietly started building rentals for themselves or they were flipping houses on their own, but there wasn't a big business at it. In today's model, we've got 20 years of HGTV, you know, 
everybody in America, in theory, not everybody, but a lot of people lot are of flipping people. houses. Yeah. You know, it's a very crowded space now. Uh, so, yeah, the, 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 what the franchise gives you is a little bit of a roadmap early on. It, the, there's a lot of pros and cons, and we might have time to get into it today. We might not. But in theory, you come to the table with, with a decent amount of, of money. You place it in How advertising. Much it? How much? So, I don't know if you can say it or not, but tell us a little a number. Is it over two hundred? I don't know 000? exactly what the franchise costs now, but I think it's somewhere in the range of seventy thousand dollars for the franchise. But then you need to have somewhere, you know, another two hundred, another two hundred for advertisement. And everybody knows this business can be business can be very cash intensive. So you, you so might need even more like than that, half a million dollars, you know, oh, to wow. kind of get to get a good business off the ground, and. The nice thing about it is you're going to be drinking from a fire hose in the sense that you're going to have lots of opportunities. You're going to be, but it can be overwhelming too, you know, and there's something to be said sometimes from starting off slowly making your mistakes that are inevitable in this business, but doing it at a slow basis to where you're not going to sink your ship with five or six poor decisions. Uh, but back, let's go back to the early days for a second. You know, the roadmap part of it was great. It was, uh, it was an advertisement company that would help you place your advertisement. It was uh, a lot of knowledge base on how to uh, how to how to be how to be in front of a seller. You know, when you are going to go meet with a family in need, uh, and they're in some form of a pain that the real estate is attached to. It's a very, there's an art to that. It's there, emotional. It's, it's very, very emotional. emotional. It's the beautiful thing about houses and the thing that has really kept me in this business for so long is not the house, but it's the stories that are attached to them. They're beautiful. And, and houses carry memory and an emotional level that nothing else that I've been a part of does. You know, families live in houses. There's pains in houses. There's happy days in houses. I've had stories where people have come to me and said, uh, you know, I, I met a lady on the front front uh, lawn one time, and she said, you can go in and take a look at the house. I said, well, you want to join me? You want to walk me through? She said, no. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh? She said, that house carries a little too much for me. Walk through, tell me what you're going to pay me for it. Wow. And as it turned out, she was abused in that house by her grandfather. Wow. And inherited it down the road, but had no interest in walking through because every room you walk through is going to flood back another memory that's Motor very carry, difficult. Yeah. So as soon as we know we're dealing with that, we have to be very careful. You know, number one, you have to be very careful that you don't abuse that knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a knowledge that you can take and use for good or for bad, but you also have to be very respectful mm. of the process for the seller as well. That's, you know, that was a negative, uh, um, you know, had a negative uh, trigger with that, but also there's people with you know, beautiful memories, which might be even could be as emotional because they don't want to get rid of that because maybe mom or dad passed away and they, you know, they have like an emotional connection. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It can be just as powerful on the other side of the, the uh, pendulum for sure. But the franchise gave us a good platform to learn quickly, uh, to teach us a lot. You know, there back in those days, there weren't a lot of other options for learning how to buy real estate learning how to evaluate it, you know, no internet, you know, no internet really. So there's a lot of other options today. That's why there's a lot of pros and cons to the franchise model, Mm. you know, 
but you know your story is your story and you did learn a lot of things i did and you know you you've you've been involved in over 700 transactions um you know 85% of that being wholesale so you have a lot of experience um let's talk a little bit about about that that first wholesale deal that you have you know how was it where were you when the phone rang you know did, you know the the first deal that maybe you close well, you're going you're gonna to test my memory right now. So I'll tell you, you about... You remember. I actually don't remember the first wholesale that the I first did. first memory. But, but yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, my business kind of took a turn. I don't want to take us down a, a, a distractional path, but I'll remember one that really stood for me in Los Angeles. I'll remember, I can tell you the first one that ha happened in Los Angeles. So I got my start in this business, obviously, in San Antonio. The crash happened. Man, mm. if you were in real estate, you were fighting for your life every mm. single month. It, it was, there were ways to get through it. And, and boy, I, I actually performed and was in real estate through the entire crash. So I'm quite proud of that fact, although it wasn't sexy and it wasn't the, the glory days of, my, of the Ahern family, but we did get through it. I got an invitation to come back to Los Angeles in 2011 um, to get back into the agency business. And I had said, eh, maybe the real estate chapter has come to an end. Maybe I should pursue the, the entertainment thing again. It took me about three months of being back at the agency to realize what a mistake I had made. And I love my boss. She is a sweetheart. The lady that fought to bring me back to Los Angeles was, is an absolute, absolute gem. And I'll do anything she ever wants me to do. Cause she, she really did do it. But uh, it was about three months and I was like, I was sitting at a desk, you know, used to going out and looking at houses all day long, used to meeting with sellers and, and, and hearing stories and, and hanging out. And I just felt trapped. I felt like I was really in a prison. I'm, I'm really hearing entrepreneurial here. Are you? Right? Is that what that is? Well, you know, it's, there's the corporate, you know, there's the, co the corporate formula, which is a nine to five job, maybe nine to nine uh, with the boss. And then there's the entrepreneurial, which is exactly not having a, a schedule or having your own schedule. That is worth so much to me. And, it, and it, it's not easy to get. You know, for those of you that are listening out there right now, your audience that are trying to figure out how to do it, trust me, it's not easy. But the reward, once you get it right, is well worth it. You know, it, it is, a, it is a, a hope that you wake up every day with where you don't know what the day is going to unfold. You know, you, you can build models and you can have predictability on income coming in over a certain amount of time. But I might walk into a deal tomorrow that's going to bring me $600,000. Wow. You know, it, and, and I get to be the maker of my own day at the same time. So that's a pretty, that's a pretty powerful concept. And once you get used to it, it's really hard to go back to it. So I was used to it. Um, I got a phone call from a friend saying, Hey, we think that this business model that we've been doing in San Antonio is going to take off here in LA. Do you want to be involved? And I said, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. LA is too difficult of a market. It's too you know, it's, it's, it's too competitive. You know, we, we did well in minor markets where, um, there wasn't so many options. Somebody's house wasn't necessarily their life asset from a standpoint of value. People hold on to their houses here and they realize because of our appreciation swings that they're probably going to get to retire off the sell someday. So that's a whole different level of conversation you have to have with somebody. And I, um, I said, listen, I'll buy for you on the side. I'll, you know, I'm, I'm not interested in throwing away what I have. 
And the funny thing is, is the first appointment I went to, and keep in mind, in San Antonio, I'd been buying houses that were twenty to eighty, hundred thousand dollars, right? So that's my training ground. That's my knowledge base. And I'm looking at this first house, and it's a five hundred thousand dollar house, and I'm thinking. How am I going to offer this gentleman $280,000 for the house? And we start talking and we start, um, we start going down my process that I have on every appointment and we get to the point of making an offer and I just spit the numbers out and I kind of wincing in my brain at the same time. And he says, that's fair. I can, I think we can live with that. We end up buying the house for 280,000. And I end up wholesaling it to a friend of mine, a guy that I, that I had kind of known, but wasn't super sure if he was a performer, you know, for, it was like 65, 70,000, right? In that neck of the woods. That was more money than I'd ever made on a wholesale wow. in San Antonio. You know, margins are small in San Antonio and, and here they can be pretty, pretty great. And the light bulb went off in my head that the process was identical to everything I had done in San Antonio, the numbers were just changed. You got to add some zeros onto it, you know? And that was $70,000 in just like that one conversation and, you know, escrow and the process. Yeah. There's a lot involved and in theory, like, but you didn't put any money on the deal. Did you? I didn't put any money in that deal. No. And I, but I had years of history. You know what I mean? Like it didn't just happen. Like there was a learning curve that we had to get of course. through. I, I knew how to be, in front of that gentleman in order to convey some people call it luck some other people isn't the right person with the right knowledge at the right time you're right there you go and so we we ended up being in that place for a good run here in los angeles what was your uh your most profitable wholesale my most profitable wholesale i had two in one month and i in the business needed it so it was kind of a miraculous a miraculous experience and that they were deals that we had worked really hard on and they were kind of falling apart and kind of, kind of hanging on there and I had lots of competition. And so, but they both came through in the same month and I had one that we wholesaled for 165 and we had, and then we had another one that we wholesaled for 140 in the same 30 day period. Wow. Yeah. And you know, again, whole, you know, wholesales, um, you know, you're assigning the goal. Well, actually, why don't you define what's your definition? Yeah, that's of wholesale? a good. We, we should probably define that because a lot of people probably have different definitions. So, for me, what a wholesale means is when you can contr contract a property and you sell your paper on the property to another investor, meaning you don't ever take title. Your company never takes title. Uh, in my mind, there's pretty much three different categories. You have wholesale, which is what I just described. You have wholetail which is when you as an investor take title to the property, but don't make any repairs to it and put it back on the market or you sell it to put it out at an auction house, but you've taken title, you've closed on the property with cash or some other kind of financing. And then you've sold it as is. You probably have time to find the right investor. And yeah, ideally that is probably the most profitable way. But there's also a cost to it. It's right? a cost and it's a risk. And time and energy. It's a cost and it's a risk. Uh, and the third one, and then the third one's retail. Or you as the investor close on the property, make the improvements with you and maybe even a partner of some sort who comes in with capital to help you fix it. And then, uh, and then you put it on the market retail and sell it for the very most amount of money that the market will bear right now.
So for whatever reason, I have gravitated to the wholesale side of things. Uh, there have been times when I needed to wholesale and that I didn't have capital to pull it off. There are times when I haven't needed to. And then there, and then there are times when I've gotten lured into retail because the numbers are too sexy too and too good. Uh, and then there are times when I'm reminded because I've gotten stung on retail stuff that get back to the basics. Wholesales is fun. It is, you know, it is, if it's done right, it's incredibly rewarding. It, it sounds so exciting. The fact that you can actually, like you said, wake up today, you know, put that house in a contract, assign it to someone that you know. And make $50,000 in like a few weeks. I just had a meeting with a friend yesterday, um, uh, an investment firm I'm going to start working with. And they were telling me that they just bought an apartment building for uh, $3 million, 86 unit um, building. They, uh, they moved it to another investor who happened to be in their office and was like, I'd be interested in that. I'm actually looking to, I've got two or three already that I've got. Uh, here's what I'd probably pay you for it. It was 1.6 million more than they paid for it. <sighs> They're giving the guy that brought them the deal. So in essence, the wholesaler, $600,000. And they're happy to give that wholesaler the deal. And the guy buying it from them is happy to be paying them what they're paying them. And the bank that sold them the property for $3 million originally is happy to be selling win, it to win. them. So that's when this business is magical. You know, a lot of people look at this as a predatory business. You know, as it becomes more mature, there are more targets, and, and people don't understand it. They don't understand why anybody would sell you anything at a discount. I, I can tell you one of the most powerful parts of my business has been the rewarding part that most of my clients, not every single one, but most of them, you know, we end our agreement, we end our transaction with them telling me, Ben, we hope you make a lot of money on this deal. And that that is a that is a really sobering statement to receive from someone, you know, that you're about to make. And, and sometimes you do make a lot of money. And sometimes, I mean, I've wholesaled stuff for two, $3,000 too. You know, it, it doesn't always, you, you got to make it fit. So anyway. Very rewarding business that way. Wow. Um, you mentioned that also you, um, there are some sexy deals that you mentioned that you decided to remodel them and sell them. What has been your, your most profitable flip? Oh, man. You're going gonna, you're gonna to call me out because I'm not very good at rehabbing. It's okay. $100,000 is, is a good you know, rehab. $200,000. $50,000. I'm thinking about it for a second here. I think, to be completely frank, and honesty is important, right? Always. I don't think I've ever made $100,000 on a rehab. I think my most profitable rehab is something in the range of like 70 to 80 grand. Yeah. But there's been a lot, especially in Los Angeles. You know, my model was such that I was doing volume, right? So I, you know, was, was if I could wholesale, meaning that I could assign my contract for anything north of fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000, I was taking that. And those were probably the most profitable deals that I could, you know, those are the ones where I could rehab and make north of a hundred grand. But, but my model was such that take that and, and take the easy money in essence. Absolutely. And, and, the then, re, and then I would rehab the ones that I could only assign for five, 10,000, which is, there's some holes in that model, to be honest with you. But that's the way my capital was structured and I ended up, so I ended up rehabbing out of default a lot of times just cause I couldn't make a margin that I felt like I needed yeah. to. 
And so I've had some profitable, I think 70, 80 grand is great, but like I'm, I'm, it's a I've, lot of money. I've had a lot more, you know, success to with. be completely frank with you. My assignment, my average assignment price in Los Angeles has been pushing almost 60 grand. So I'm much better at that than I am. No wonder why you do 685% and being wholesales. Yeah. So that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a deal once in uh, Coachella mm. and, um, you know, I, I bought it at $50,000. We put 25,000 and we sold it at $190,000. So even Amazing. though, yeah, even though it's not hundreds of thousands of dollars, the amount of money I put in and the amount of money I put out, it was, you know, it was just made a lot of sense. I've done a lot of business out in the Antelope Valley, the Lancaster, Lake Los Angeles. I hated that area when I first <laughs> moved to Los Angeles. I'm like, I don't want to drive out there. And then somebody reframed it for me. And they're like, Ben, we've made a lot of money out there. And as soon as I had that reframe in my head, I started looking at it differently. And you know what? Over the last seven years, I've made a lot of money out there and without a lot of risk, you know. I've had some major headaches of closing property and realizing that the septic was not going to be able to be permitted, you know, but we've gotten out of everything and it's been very profitable. So, and how do you work on, on your process of, I want to talk about framing. I think this is a very powerful concept when you have a disempowering thought about something, right. And, and obviously you're, you're, you, you know, you've done very well in this business. Um, that, that means you might not have that many disempowering frames in your thought process. But, you know, when you have, you know, you, you have a bad experience with maybe a seller, another one, and you start creating your own idea of how it might be, how do you do to, you know, disarm and a disempowering thought so it doesn't apply to future deals that might affect your career? How do you do to change that pattern? So... That's a great, great question, Joe. And I think one of the things you have to acknowledge in answering that question in this business is that the success of this business is going to be completely determined on the success of your head. And as you know, it's, it's a very common phrase now, but the founder of the franchise would always tell us the same thing. You know, and I think it was Henry Ford who said it originally, which is you believe you can or you believe you can't. Both are correct, you know, and you can make a decision every single day. And so that, that was kind of the, the running roadmap that I've had in the back of my mind. But I will tell you, like, it is a, it is a daily, weekly challenge, especially once you run into a series of failures or a series of unfortunate events or a series of appointments that are, you, you can easily start saying the business is done. The yes. business has disappeared. The model's broken. Uh, so, I have a luxury in the sense that I've got 17 years to be able to fall back on and periods of time and reference. Now points. you do. I do. But you didn't have it before, but you have to start somewhere. And so one of the things that I've taught people, one of the things that we did, we've done in our own business is let's say we have a couple bad months and I, uh, start believing we're never going to buy a house again. And that's very easy to do. You know, it is, it's super easy to start thinking it's never going to be as good as it was. And this is the new future. But what I like to do is I like to go back and I like to get on the phone with people that have sold me a house in the last couple of years. Just check in on them. How are you doing? How, how'd the transition go? How'd life go? And what you're doing to yourself is you're actually sitting down with people that said yes to you and you're putting your brain into a very positive environment and you're reminding yourself 
this isn't crazy. Somebody said yes to me. You know, somebody actually thought that our what we had to offer was a value and you're reminding yourself of what that time frame was like and you're repositioning your brain because it's very easy to start thinking negatively in this business. Yeah. And I feel like it's, I was thinking when you were sharing this, um, you know, relationships, you know, um, a lot of the times you stay with the same spouse or same partner because you think that there's no one better for you. And maybe that relationship is not really working for you. And, and you think that there's no one else for you. Yeah. And I, and I feel that that, that, that not call it bad company, but maybe not that, you know, perfect person for you, you know, might apply to your, your, you know, that alter idea that you might have that you might not buy anything in the future. Right. And that, that negative thought is always, you know, picking in you. It's coming back in the back of your head. hundred percent. So I, I like, I like what, you know, I appreciate, I appreciate what you said about. The other you know, practical yeah. part of it, Joe, is I've spent a lot of time surrounding myself with people that are either doing better than me or have been there before me. You know, I have lots of mentors in this business. I have, uh, I believe that there are times you need to be picked up, you know, and there are times that I end up being that for somebody else. You know, people call me and they're like, man, they're in the dumps. Things aren't going well. And we get to talk through the reality of it, you know, and, and kind of fine tune it and pick apart. Maybe there's some things they're doing on a daily basis that aren't playing into their success, you know? And so if you're, if you're not surrounding yourself by people like that, or you're not putting yourself into a mentorship scenario, you're not going to be very successful in this you're business. Not. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, the power of, of, um, of having someone there for you. You mentioned about Terry being your first coach mentor. Mm. Um, what did you learn from Terry? I learned that people, will trust you. Terry is a classic Texan in that he's big, he's tall, he's he's got he doesn't speak super fast, but when he speaks, he speaks with authority, but he listens with even more authority. And so Terry taught me that listening is the gateway to trust. And listen. actively actively listening, not so just being present, not just nodding your head and looking, but being able to really recollect the story that they're telling you, you know. And uh, Terry taught me that once you establish trust, like a genuine trust, like you can really, like people can really perceive that you actually care about what you're hearing and what they're, what they're, uh, what they have to say, uh, the doorway, the relationship opens up and, and just about anything can happen. You know, when I, when I, I opened up by saying you have to be a good steward of the information, like there are many appointments that I've gone on where, I think part of the success that we have had is that I truly don't believe that what I have to offer is the best fit for their situation. I don't try and cram every single appointment. So keep in mind, so here's some impressive stats. Like those 600 houses or so that I've bought and wholesaled, the more important stat to me is how many we didn't buy. You know, I, I buy in essence over the years one to two out of 10. So in theory, that's almost 6,000 people right? That I've met with of those 6,000 people, only 600 of them have been bought, but I have tried to leave every single one of them in a better spot than when I got there. And, the, and so oftentimes we start off every appointment saying, you know, we, we'd like to hear what's going on, we, but what we're really interested in is helping you find the right solution today. And sometimes that doesn't mean us. Are you okay with us telling you that? Mm. And 
that disarms very quickly and sets us on the right footing for an, a really powerful appointment. So Terry taught me those things. We don't need to buy every single house. You know, we need to buy the right ones. You, you, if you try and buy every house in this business, you're going to end up in lawsuits. You're going to end up in, uh, in bad deals. You're going to end up with people resenting you. I mean, you really have to just let the magic, this, this business is always going to be there. There's always going to be somebody um, with something that they need to sell in a time frame when money just isn't the most important component of the decision. And I never understood that until, guess what? Until I lost everything. Mm. I lost everything in 2008 and 2009, like many people did. But it, it taught me something about selling things. That if somebody actually just cared about my situation for a second and really presented as not trying to get in the way, I had a threshold, right? I had a threshold if I was selling a bicycle or selling a car or selling some other luxury item that I just needed to get rid of. I had a threshold that needed to be met. But once that threshold was met, the right person was going to get it. You know, it, and it was um, a very powerful experience for me for buying from that point on. I understood what it was like to be in their shoes for a second. And unfortunately, I had to go through it myself. Mm. But. It's very interesting, right? What I'm, what I'm hearing is there are two parts. One is making, making a, an honest um, contribution to the client being unattached to either being able to wholesale or not a deal when you meet someone. So that's one part. And the other part is the business of it, right? It has to be a win-win. I, I, I appreciate that. Let's talk about a little bit about the business side. Yeah, um, let's do it. You know, you go into a meeting. Um, have, you, have you done any training in, on, on sales? Or what are your, your, you know, I heard about being present, listening, not just hearing, but listening what they have to say. What, what, um, what ideas, what advice can we give to our audience inside of sales? And when you are in front of someone, you, this is the first time you're meeting. Sometimes you need probably three or four times to, until they say yes. Or what is the process? What goes in your head and what goes in your mouth when you, when you speak? Historically, I've bought about 50% of my houses on the spot and then about 50% from follow-up. So I will say the biggest change that I saw in the business here in Los Angeles versus San Antonio is that in San Antonio, people trusted you first and then you had to prove that you weren't trustworthy. So it was, it was a very easy platform. Uh, in Los Angeles, it's the exact opposite. So a small little system change that I had to make buying in Los Angeles versus buying in San Antonio was usually we would sit down first in San Antonio, walk in the door, someone say, Hey, why don't you have a seat? And it's a great way to start a relationship. We're not talking about the house. We're just talking about life. Now people in Los Angeles, they don't trust you to sit down first. You're here to look at the house, go look at the house. So my job then was to establish trust over looking at the house that then be able to be offered to have a seat. How do you do that? Well, you do it with active listening. You do it with who you are as a person. You do it with the right questions, with the right tone, with matching and mirroring occasionally. So to your initial question, like what are you using? I've used a variety of different sales techniques. There's, there's a lot of great ones out there. I've been in the president's club at Sandler. San, I don't know if you know who Sandler sales. It's a, it's a whole sales system that's based upon a, a pain system in essence that you need to go find the pain of somebody's problem 
And then once you have rooted out the pain, then magic can happen. You know, if you really find out why somebody is doing what they're doing and what we're talking about is a deep, deep reason why, like I'm selling my house because I lost my job. That may not be the reason you're selling your house. You're selling your house because you need cash because your wife is going to divorce you if you can't pay for your daughter's education and keep her in the private school. That is a whole different level of a conversation than just I lost my job and I'm selling my house, you know, and, and it's part of our job to kind of figure out why people are making the decisions that they're making. It also helps you, it puts you in a position to say whether or not you're the right fit or not. You know, you may not be after, after taking them down this deep, deep path. So you need to have some kind of a system. There are a lot of good ones out there. Um, someone can, you know, at the end of this will hit me up and I'll, I'll definitely, I can definitely talk about that. You're about to provide a great one. So Thank you. Uh, Real I'm success. very excited to see what you put together. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but you do need a methodology. If you just winging it every time, you're going to have winging it results. You know, you got to have something that you can look back and say, all right, I didn't do that step right. My, my appointment, you know, has about six or seven different compartments that I need to check off a box mentally before I move on to the next phase of the appointment. Okay, so what are the steps? Six, seven steps, if you can actually consciously... Well, it's a Sandler system, so it's bonding and rapport, okay? And and we have to button down bonding and rapport before we move on to, to, to something else. Then we have... Um, we have a uh, the pain, okay, which is what is the problem taking place. And then we have the solution... And then we have fulfillment and then we have post-sale. So there's, there is a, I can get into the details of each, but every single one of them has a value as far as moving them along the path. And you can't do one until you've really buttoned down the hatch on the one before. Right. Does that make sense? Step by step. Right. And now as I've, I, I was in a president's club where we would meet weekly and bring our problems and bring our challenges. And it was not just home buyers. It was every other business that was doing it. And it, and it really like ingrained into me. And so I, I can, I can step along. I can skip some steps in my appointment because some appointments aren't super, aren't fluid. They go all over the place, right? So you get interruptions, you get, you know, but I realize that I can't mentally move on to the final step of making an offer until all these other things are, are checked off. So fascinating. How much time do you think it will take in average to build a trust on that first meeting? Depends what kind of person you are. It's a tough question to I answer. Know. There's no, I, mean, I, I've, I've worked with lots of buyers, you know, lots of wholesalers all over the country. I really have. And one of the things that really impresses me and actually encourages me is so many different kinds of styles and personalities. There's one key ingredient. It's your ability to convey trust quickly. If you have that, you'll be successful at this business. Do you have it or you can gain it? I'm in the belief system that you can gain just about anything you want in life. All right. So if you don't have it, then like a muscle, you can grow it. Then you need to grow it, but it's going to be hard. You're going to have to do a lot of in internal inspection. You're going to have to face some demons. You're going to have to probably be willing to put yourself out there from a vulnerability standpoint. Uh, ben, what are your uh, daily habits? Drive us into, you wake up, you know, you're, 
you're very well spoken, very smart. Uh, but I'll, I'm also hearing that there's a lot of well-being in your life. And, you know, as every successful person, you know, we have daily habits. What are yours? I'm in the process of rearranging those, Joe. And, and part of this business for me is realizing that this is a marathon and not a sprint. And I've, there's been times over my life where I've treated it like a sprint, meaning that I've, I've been out of balance. So last year I raced motorcycles all over the country. You know, I, I, every week and I was every month, I was a Thursday through Sunday gone somewhere in the country racing a motorcycle. And you know what? My business suffered, my family suffered and it was an imbalance. And so that's fine for a season, but it's not fine for a marathon. Like you've got to really like set yourself up to be successful. So right now, here's what my, um, my daily, my daily routine looks like. I get up about six o'clock. The first thing I do is I have a cup of coffee. Got to wake that little engine up. And then I'm going to pray and meditate and read something that is inspirational or sets my 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 mind and my soul and my spirit right for the day. How long do you meditate? Five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes? It's about a 30-minute process for me. So not a, not a super long one, you know, and, it, and it's, it's about kind of taming your mind too. Like there's a, there's a, there's an, it's easy as an entrepreneur to let things spin, to let anxiety kick in, to let uh, all the worry of the day start to flood in. So this is about controlling that. Then I exercise for a little while, do a quick exercise, something cardio, get my, my uh, exercise is super powerful in this business. And I've, trust me, I've had many, many days and many weeks and months and years that I haven't exercised and tried to do it without. But getting those endorphins going early on in the morning is setting yourself up. Then I have a to-do list of everything that I need to accomplish for the day. Reasonable, not crazy. And you create it in the morning. I create it in the morning. Powerful. And then I do a, sometimes I have set appointments where I know I have blocks of time that I'm not going to be available. In Los Angeles, I've only really tried to do two appointment blocks. I have an 11 o'clock hour and a two o'clock hour. We crisscross Lancaster to San Pedro. You know, it's, there's some days you can only get one appointment in, but those blocks of times are pretty specific in my car. When I'm to, to and from appointments, I'm, I'm trying to use that time pretty productively from a standpoint of whether I'm listening to a podcast, a great one like this. Thank you. <laughs> or I'm listening to a book on tape. You know, something that I've wanted to read or, or listen to. What books have you listened lately that you can share or lessons? I'll you tell want? you a great one right now is never split the difference. Have you, uh, I have not, let's get a, I'm blanking on the author right now. He's all over Instagram right now. Um, tell me I'm, a little I'm bit very about that sorry, one. but oh, it's fine. never split the difference is an FBI profiler who used negotiation, um, in all of his, uh, all of his, uh, yeah, Chris Foss. Thank you. Got it. Uh, he used negotiation tactics in all of his hostage situations. And so he basically goes through a lot of unique situations. He tells you the stories and what negotiation worked. And it's a really powerful book. And so it's it's actually a great listen as well. So he's on repeat. Um, there's a lot of Sandler training that I have on repeat in my car. And then the to-do list, you know, frankly... 
needs to, I, I cannot wrap my day out without that to-do list being done. What I set out in the morning to accomplish, you know, and that's why it's a reasonable list. You know, it's not 60 items on there that are going to, it's going to overwhelm you. It's four or five things that we need to move the ball forward that we're working on. So, uh, and then I, at, at some point, inevitably, you know, I've got, I've got daughters, so I've, uh, part of my life now is, is balance with them and you don't, if you're not going to take advantage of that part of this business, then you're missing it. You know, if you're not going to spend some time with your family and I've, I've had times when I haven't done it as much, you know, I pursued what I wanted to pursue, but this last year was very convicting for me. And so in the afternoons, I have got a daughter that plays tennis. So I'll try and play some tennis with her, uh, every day. I have one that's taking algebra and I'm learning algebra because I, <laughs> I don't remember algebra and she needs help. And so we're, we're working on that in the evening time. Then my wife and I will usually make dinner and I have a little fun in the evening time. What time do you go to bed? I go to bed between on most, my wife likes to go to bed super early. So we're trying to figure like out seven, eight. No, God dang. How goes to bed at seven or eight? You do? That's my goal. Really? <laughs> yeah. When it's light outside? I know. That's amazing. That's fine. Uh, no, I'm in bed by between 9 and 10. That's perfect. You know, I need to get, I, you know, I need eight hours of sleep. I really do. I wish I could tell you I could survive on, one of those guys that could survive on four. I've got some friends that like I wish that two to four hours, you know. I've just never bought that. I'm like, you're either manic or something else is going on because I can't. Yeah, I need a solid eight hours. When you go to bed, do you leave your phone in the room, or how do you manage the? Yeah, alarm? I do. It's a, it's probably a mistake. We're human beings, you know. When you have inventory, so like there have been times when like I don't have in, any inventory and it's fairly relaxing. But as soon as you close on a few properties, you know this, Joe. You're worrying about them. You know what I mean? You're worrying about something going wrong in the middle of the night. You're worrying about somebody breaking in. I've had, I've had. Uh, <sighs> I've had plenty of situations. I had one where a family of five moved into my house before we could start rehabbing it. And they had gotten scammed by somebody on Craigslist. I, and But I got a phone call from a neighbor saying, there's a full family living in your house. You guys sold it already. And it was like 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. I'm like, oh, gosh. Oh, wow. So I'm headed down there. So, you know, the phone doesn't need to be by my side. There's nothing like – there's nothing – more empowering in this day and age than turning your phone off for given periods of time. There, it really is amazing. And the world still operates. Mm. There used to be a time frame when people would have to call your home phone, leave a message. And before that, there was a time frame when there weren't phones and they just had to kind of work it out and it, and everything worked, you know? I mean like now with text messaging, people expect you to respond like within seconds of getting a text. It's really a miserable Got it. Miserable setup. So All right. uh, I'm with you. That's like awesome. To do that. Thank you. Um, let's move to, um, let's go a little bit more into the mechanical, the nitty gritty of wholesaling. Okay. Um, you know, you know, some of our, our students are um, taking, making, they made a decision they want to wholesale. So what are, what is the first step? You have the, you have the mentorship of Terry. You have a, you know, you have a franchise. Yes. Your real success where, you know, we're making sure that they thrive, that they get success, but in a mechanical step-by-step, step, what are the pitfalls when you get in and what, what would be an advice that will make a difference for them? Man, that is such a big question. So let's try and break it down into some, some bite-sized chunks. Okay. Something of value. 
So you want to wholesale. The first thing you have to figure out is where you're going to get your deals from. Sourcing, right? There are a lot of different ways to do this. And there's not a lot that I've seen that's brand new underneath the sun. So you've got mail pieces you can send out. Basically saying, I'll buy your house for cash should you want. You know, and that's a very proven strategy. It's a pretty busy space in the sense that there are a lot of people doing it, you know. The franchise system in Los Angeles was spending almost a hundred grand a month sending mail pieces out. So, wow. and there's five or six other investment firms that I could name off the top of my head that are doing something similar. So, uh, but that doesn't mean that you won't have success in that arena. If you should, should, should you choose, you can walk neighborhoods, you know, that it is still door knocking door knocking is still, especially for ugly houses, you know, I'll tell you, I've done it even as a successful investor. I've still done it occasionally. And I've done it to put my mind into a set of service, into a humbling place uh, that I never want to feel too big for my own britches. There have been times when I certainly haven't needed to, but I want to go ahead and, and still convey that, you know, there may be a time in life when I need to do it. And you you want to be sharp. Where would you do it? Where would be your advice for someone to start? So uh, for, for that... I highly recommend setting up a small network of neighborhoods to where you can kind of own that space yourself, you know, because this is about building relationships on the ground. You know, the look at look at the Mormon church, you know, look at the, the fellows that every Mormon person, you know, has to go do a mission field. What do they do? They get on their bikes and they go knock on doors. And it's very effective. They've been doing it for a long time. But you can't, you got to really like take some low-hanging fruit. Like, so put, don't, don't go knock on doors in Beverly Hills. You know what I mean? Like, that's a classic. Not that you would, but you're going to get arrested pretty quick. You're going to get kicked out. But you know, Reseda and Van Nuys and in the Valley, there's, there's some neighborhoods, you know, take five to 10 blocks and just isolate all what you would think would be the potential problem properties in there. Go meet the neighbors. You know what I mean? Go go, go build some relationships. They can't sell you a house. Maybe you know someone that does. You know, it's it's just positive energy that you're putting out there. Um, yeah, I think that that can be a very powerful way. You want to do stuff in this business that nobody else is doing. In the sense that, and not no one else is doing because they don't have the money to do it, but that they're not willing to do it. You know, that's a powerful distinction. Uh, the things that is hardest, will, you'll grow from the most. You may not, you know, you know, you might do it for six months, buy one house, and it may not be super proven, but you are going to learn a lot about yourself by putting yourself in that spot. And uh, you're going to get a lot better at meeting strangers and introducing yourself and, you know, playing that game. Uh, obviously, digital marketing is very powerful these days. Uh, I have not what platforms, the platforms. I haven't had a ton of success on Facebook, you know, with programs that we've tried. It's pretty good at generating phone calls, but it hasn't been very good at the conversion, conversion into, into actual house purchases. But, but branding yourself on your social media platform is very powerful too. Uh, if you don't have advertising money, you know, your family and friends are probably not going to be a great starting point for buying an ugly house. You're going to probably have to go in nursing homes, 
estate attorneys. Go knock on those doors. So you're a cash buyer. The hardest part of this business is getting started a little bit, you know, just getting your footing and how to, how do you convey? So like the nuts and bolts is how do you convey success to somebody? Not arrogance, but success before you've had success. Right. And that is just a hurdle you're going to have to get over. And we, we can help you. I'd be happy to help you with that, you know, and how to, how to set your brain. I bought lots of houses for five, $600,000 when I didn't have five or $600,000 in the bank, you know, but you have to project that you can close every single, every single hard money lender out there. If you have a deal, will lend you money. So whether you have it or not in the bank, you have it, you know, for the right price, someone's going to lend you money for it. And, and you just have to be able to convey that. So sourcing is always going to be an issue. It's the hardest part about this job. It really is, but it's there. It can be had. Um, having a system for, for how to be at the appointment and how to go from the hardest part of this job and buying a house because wholesalers do the tough work and that what the tough work is, you're sitting on a dirty couch, you're building a relationship and it's not always dirty, by the way, sometimes the couch is very <laughs> clean, but you're, you're actually building a relationship and then you're converting that relationship into a sale and into a discounted sale. So for me, that's always been my biggest struggle. That's it's, I'm very good at building a relationship, but then you gotta, you gotta pivot the relationship. All right. You, you gotta remember your place. Your place is not there to have a best friend. They called you in or, or they invited you in to help solve a problem. And that requires me making money too. Right. If, if I did it all for free, I wouldn't be in business very long. So having a system for that is very, very key. And then as, as soon as you, not to be underestimated, but as soon as you have a house under contract, there's a whole different step that takes place, and that is moving the product, you know? And how do you move it to the right people? That how aren't, do you do that? Yeah, that's a great question. Your investors list. There, there is, it, it's so innate for me that it's, I got to kind of think about. You just breathe it. You know how to, you don't even think about well, it. Well, and I've it. got so many guys that mm. I've built and worked with that I trust. I, Joe, I've probably got three or four investors that if I call them with a house, they don't even look at it. Wow. They just, they trust me. You know, that if I told them this is what it, like a couple guys, you know, they, I, I tell them, please do look at it. Don't come back. I don't want anything to come back to haunt me, but like, no, we trust you, man. We've had enough products, projects go well with you that like, if the numbers work on, on paper and we, someone's driven by and seen that there's actual house there, then we're, we're good. So, uh, you know, that, that takes a while. That's, that's a... It takes years. That's a process. How many so, hundreds of investors, not that you work with, but in your list that you have, or maybe thousands? I don't work that way. So oh, yeah. I develop relationships with my investors, and I don't. I don't. So here's 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 the part of the wholesaling business that I'm not a huge fan of. I'm not a huge fan of the the sellers seeing their house plastered all over social media that is for sale. Mm. You know, I think that is sometimes an antithesis of what we're trying to do out there on the street. Do I disclose to them that I'm going to be profitable? Yes. Do I disclose to them that I, that I am going to assign their house from time to time? Yes. Is it, is it out there that we're doing it in their face? No. You know, it is a, it is a fine line of disclosure and making sure that you are, uh, in compliance with the law as well as ethics. Uh, 
but I just don't love the idea of sending out, you know, as soon as you got a product and then you send it out to someone that you don't have control over and they send it out to 10 other people and those 10 people send it out to three people, you know, I've done that before and then I've had my same house come back to me from another bird dog mm. and, and it's just not what I want my product you know, in my experience, my seller experience, when I, when I meet with this, I don't want them to have that experience. It's called the bird dog, right? It's a bird dog. What is the definition of bird dog? Well, bird dog is basically, uh, you know, it's probably got a negative connotation on it, but it's probably a wholesaler and a very junior. Um, if, if you're looking at like this at college, mm. they're freshmen. Got it. You know what I mean? They send it to thousands of people. Right. Exactly. Got it. The, the same 30 people, more or less are still buying the same properties. You know what I mean? So it's just going to, it's just going to make their, its way up the food chain. I'm not a huge fan of selling properties that I assign to one investor and then he turns around and assigns it to another investor. So part of working with me is, is you gotta, you gotta be the end user if you're working with me. Have I ever done it before? Yes. I've had products that are difficult to move. Somebody said they knew somebody else. Do they mind if they make money? I have no problem with people making money on anything, but I am only going to move product to people that I trust that are going to hold up their end of the bargain and not make me look bad when it comes to closing. I'm closing exactly when they say they're going to close. Mm. You know, the, these are the kinds of um, interview, the interview process I do with the investors, especially when I came into Los Angeles originally and had to go recreate everything for myself. Uh I, I worked hard in making sure that I was I had the right buyers set up. You know, you I knew I was going to be successful. So part of what I did throughout the day was meet with other investors and figure out what they wanted, what areas of town they wanted, and then before you know it. And, and this is the easiest process of the job. I mean, it really is. This is not the one to get stuck on. But it is an important, important process that you got to really make sure that who you're moving the property to isn't going to come back to you after they close and realize that the plumbing wasn't as good as they thought it was, that they're not going to want to sue the seller. Mm. You know what I mean? That, you know, when you're buying as is, sometimes you get a really good disclosure list on the property. Sometimes you don't. And you got to move it to someone that understands that and is not, you know, some, some rich dude that is rehabbing on the side that, you know, he may not be the best buyer for you. There are plenty of people. Anybody has a product that they're having trouble moving right now. If they've done their numbers right, they can give me a call. I mean, there are plenty mm. of good investors out there that will snatch up property for top dollar right now. Well, you know, and, and you have the experience. You're in the business for 17 years. You work with very specific people. You know, a lot of, a lot of uh, on the other spectrum, you have people that are, don't have the experience. They don't have the know-how. So if we can leave them with five steps, five things they can do, what would those steps, five, six, three, what would be the first steps to get started? Okay. You're going to put me on the spot. So let's think of five things together, okay? Let's do this together. Okay. So number one is sourcing, right? Like you have to do something on a daily basis to help source leads. Start with some very... Uh, door knocking, you mentioned. Let's let's talk door knocking. Cra Craigslist, maybe. Let's Craigslist is not a bad idea either. But you have to set some goals as far as what you're going to try and achieve on a weekly basis. Maybe you don't have, uh, maybe you don't have a ton of money, but maybe you could afford to spend a hundred dollars a mail pieces in a specific zip code. You know, work with a direct mail marketer that will move. You know, 
and give you the right criteria. That's a step. And and just start creating that, okay? Uh, so that that is moving. You need to move that needle along every single week. Just do a little bit more for yourself on that in that arena every single week. Um, number two uh, would be you need to invest in yourself. Okay, you need to start reading the powerful books in this business. You know, I know you probably have a list somewhere that you can help people with. Absolutely. Uh, but you need to really get your mindset right on a daily basis. And that's, there are a lot of great books that have been written about this business. Uh, so every single day I would spend some time on yourself. Uh, developing a system, working with somebody that can help you be on an appointment. You know, you, you might not know what to do. So maybe you need to bring somebody on your appointment that's gone before you. You know, I, I didn't know what to do. I learned quickly, but I had a father-in-law that taught me. I got to sit and watch him for 10 appointments. And then I was able to turn it into my own. So maybe you need to bring somebody along. You know, maybe you need to go ask somebody that you, in this business, if they'll if they'll tell, trail you and cut them into the deal or, or, or just let them make all the money and you just watch. You get a learning experience that way. Um. Was that step three? We, no, we were in three. Number four. But but isolating who is going to help you or what is going to help you mentor, yeah. be on the appointment. This is a this is obviously the key part of this entire equation, right? Like once you get in front of a seller, you better make the most of the time, you know. Uh step four is uh going to real estate meetings. Investors. Going, investors. Create your investors. Create list. your investor list, you know. Um, it's, it's, it's not that hard, but if you're brand new in this business, if you have no idea where to start, it can be a bit overwhelming. So start with some investor lists or rather some, uh, real estate meetings. There, there are a ton out there. Uh, you know, we could probably do an entire hour on how to, how to tell the real guys from the, from the not real guys, you know? Uh, so I have a, I kind of have a sixth sense for that at this point in this business, but yeah, when you're when you're starting, you don't you don't have a point of reference, you know. So. so maybe just run down some rabbit holes, and you'll you'll waste some time, which is okay, you know. It's part of the process. And then fifth, what should be the fifth step? Um, just take action. You know, just I would I would just go back to the first step. Make sure you start. rinse and repeat. Yeah, five is rinse and repeat. That's right. You just know, make sure you start. You you do need to rinse and repeat every single week. You know. If you if you're gonna, I highly recommend keeping your day job, whether you're whether you're a waiter, whether you're an Uber driver, whether you're guys. I've Uber drove in the last five years, and I and I've done lots of transactions, but but I also do believe that there are times when you need to reposition your service, you know, the way that you are looking at life, and so. As soon as you start to feel a little too big in your britches, it's time to reset, mm. you know, and because frankly, this business is, is about service first and foremost, it, the money, the reward part of it, uh, you know, I'm a little pissed that we started off talking about how much money we have made on certain deals because that's really, there's so much in between, you know, and it, it's a little disingenuous, I think, because mm. 
it it is just I think people get it though. I mean I'm definitely getting it. I hope so. Yeah. I hope absolutely. So. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Well, I have a, a last question for you. Oh, let's do it. Uh and then we can would like to get your information uh and we can close it. Actually, let's get the information now. Where you know, we have a lot of students that are, you know, starting, they want to buy deals. How do they contact you? So uh, the best way to get a hold of me is by cell phone or email. My, and I'm happy to give my cell phone out. Great. Call me anytime. Uh, my cell phone is 310-765-0220. And my email address is ben.ahern, A-H-E-R-N, at Gmail. One more time. Phone number and email. 310-765-0220. And my email is ben, B-E-N, dot A-H-E-R-N, at gmail.com. Last question. What is real success for you? Mm, that's a tough one. I'll tell you what is becoming for me. It hasn't always meant this in the past, but balance. Balance and a sense of purpose, probably. You know, the, it, when I get up in the morning, I, I know what I'm here in this earth to do. And it's certainly to try and help people. But balance balance of getting my family my reward part of life you know the financial part of it is is i'd always define success in the past as how much money i made and mm. and that frankly it almost works but it doesn't work you know as i put my ninth motorcycle in the garage a couple of years ago and and i the 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 real like joy of having one more motorcycle just wasn't quite enough like it just was not quite as fun as it was supposed to be i started to realize that this this probably has its place but it doesn't have the its place as the sole definer of who i am so getting balance right and the right amount of time spending on things the right amount of time on the family on my work i you know there's there's layers of success through all of them, but getting all that right is was what I really define as success. Very inspiring. Ben Ahern, thank you so much for being here. We truly appreciate it. Thank you for your wisdom, for all the nuggets, and uh, for all our real success students. And, you know, I believe we got a lot of things covered today, and we added a huge value to the real success family. So thank you so much for being here. It's been my pleasure, Joe. Great questions. And uh, thank you. I look forward to what we can do together in the years to come, man. Thank you. You're very welcome. Yeah.